right where we're there in uh, 2 Samuel chapter number 19, and we're working our way through the book of 2 Samuel, going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and basically we come to the point where David and his men have uh, won the war against Absalom, and now David is getting ready to come back uh, and, and be reinstated as king over the entire nation of Israel. And we're actually going to skip the first part of this chapter tonight. Normally we go right in order, but uh, next week is going to be uh, our, the, the Pi Social, the Wednesday night service right before the Thanksgiving. And I think there's a, a nice Thanksgiving theme there that we can learn from in the first several uh, verses of this chapter. So we're going to skip that tonight and we're going to come back to that uh, next week. But we're going we're gonna to start tonight in, in verse number 16, and we'll deal with, with the, the beginning of the chapter, uh, a little bit of it later on in this sermon and, uh, and the rest of it next week. But I want you to notice that in this chapter, uh, in the verses we're going to deal with, there is a theme that we find between the two, two characters here. You've got King David, and then you've got uh, Mephibosheth, and both of them uh, illustrate this theme, and I'm not really sure how else to explain it or how else to say it other than using these uh, words. They both let things go. And what I mean by that is both David and Mephibosheth were wronged. Both David and Mephibosheth uh, could have held a grudge, could have uh, stayed upset, could have avenged themselves, and they both chose not to. And both of their situations are fairly different. We're going to look at two different principles that we can learn from these men. The first one, of course, is the example of David letting things go. Look down at verse number 16. Notice what the Bible says. And Shimei, remember, do you remember Shimei? Uh, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, which was of Behurim, hastened and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And there was a thousand men of Benjamin with him. And Ziba, that's the other guy I want you to remember, the servant of the house of Saul, had 15 sons and his 20 servants with him. And they went over, uh, over Jordan before the king. Now keep your place there in 2 Samuel 19. And just flip a few chapters back to chapter 16 just real quickly. Let me remind you of who Shimei is, and then later on we'll look at who Ziba is, 2 Samuel 16. So remember, in chapter 19 of 2 Samuel, the battle with Absalom has been fought, has been won, and David is now coming back into Jerusalem. But in chapter 16, David was running from Absalom. He was fleeing out of Jerusalem. And in 2 Samuel 16 and verse 5, the Bible says this, And when King David came to Behurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, that was the prior king, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and, notice how he approaches the king, and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David. Now keep in mind, this is when David is running from Absalom. This is when David is, is down and out. This guy is literally, you know, kicking him when he's down. Notice verse 6. And he cast stones at David and at all the servants of the king, uh, of king David and all the people and all the mighty men uh, were on his right hand and on his left. Look at verse 7. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. Now that's a lie. David is no man of Belial. Belial is the devil. Belial is Satan. David is, is a, the Bible tells us David is a man after God's own heart. David is not a man that's worshiping Belial, but yet Shimei accuses him of, of that. Look at verse 8. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul. Again, a lie. What blood of the house of Saul? 
David would not raise his hand against the Lord's anointed, is what the Bible tells us over and over again. David did not do anything. In fact, he showed kindness to Mephibosheth, which was of the house of Saul. But here you have Shimei just lying, saying, you're the son of Belial. You, you uh, became a king by killing Saul and his family. All of this is untrue. Notice verse 8. In whose stead thou hast reigned, and the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Now, David was taken in his mischief, and I think you could say that about any of us at any point in our life. But it wasn't because... He wasn't running from Absalom because he'd wronged the house of Saul. Shimei does not understand what's going on. Shimei does not have the right information. Shimei is falsely accusing him, is slandering him, and is basically just kicking him while he's down and taking advantage of David in a bad situation. Look down at verse number 13. Of course, you have the discussion there where uh, one of the men asked to kill him, and David says, no, we're not going to do that. Look down at verse 13. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. Here you got Shimei. Things aren't going well for David, and he takes this opportunity to slander. He takes this opportunity to attack. He takes this opportunity to, to speak badly of him. And listen, if you've never been there before, you will be there at some point in your life when things are not going well, when things are not happening the way they're supposed to, when people are coming out against you, and then all of a sudden, you've got people that weren't even involved, that had nothing to do with it, and they're coming out of the woodwork and attacking you as well. Here's what I want you to understand. Shimei did David wrong. Shimei was, a, was someone who was taking advantage of a situation to try to hurt David when he was running, when he was weak, when it looked like he might not survive, when he looked like he might lose his kingdom, when it looked like he might lose his life. But on the flip side of that, in chapter 19, after the victory, after he looks like, oh, David is going to make it. David is going to be king. Absalom is now dead. Go back to 2 Samuel 19. Look at verse 18. I want you to notice how Shimei now comes back to David. 2 Samuel 19 and verse 18. And there went over a ferry boat to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. And Shimei, the son of Girah, remember, just three chapters ago, he's throwing rocks, he's slandering, he's cursing. Now, the Bible says, he fell down before the king as he was come over Jordan. And he said unto the king, let not my Lord impute iniquity unto me. Neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that my lord the king went out of Jerusalem, that the king should take it to his heart. He's saying, he's saying, I, I know I did wrong, and, and I know what I did, and and and, and don't don't take you know. I, now you're you're now you're back, and, and he's basically asking for mercy. Look at verse twenty. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I am come the first this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord. The king. And, and here's the thing. You know, you might look at this story and say, well, Shimei isn't really sorry. Shimei is only saying that because David is now king. But listen to me. Shimei is, is basically just confessing that he was wrong, confessing the fact. I'm not, I, I'm not convinced myself that he's, uh, that he's, you know, really that sorry about it. But he realizes, man, I'm in trouble now. And, and here's the thing. Here's all I want you to understand. When someone wrongs you, and they come to you, and they admit the fact and confess, I was wrong, I'm sorry. And you might sit there and think, well, you don't really mean it. You're just saying that because you got caught, or you're just saying that because the tables have turned. You're just saying that because you're... But here's the thing. What else can you really expect from Shimei? 
I mean, what, what, what else do you want him to do other than just to come and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? See, often when people wrong us, we, we want them to, like, make it up to us, but there's really no way for someone to really make things up from time to time. All we can do is just accept their apology. And isn't that what God does? The Bible says that we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God doesn't sit there and say, well, no, you're going to have to make it up. You're going to have to make it right. You're gonna... No, he says, look, if you just confess it, I'll forgive it. And here you have Shimei. You say, well, well, his heart wasn't right or he's just doing it because, no, whatever the reason was, he came to David and he acknowledged that he sinned. He acknowledged that he did wrong. And here's what I want you to notice what David does. David has all the power, has all the right, has all the ability, and no one would fault him for avenging himself on Shimei. But notice what he does, verse 21. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. And here's, he's, got, he's got people saying, let's just kill him now. He's a traitor. He's, he, he was involved in treason. He, and no one would have thought David wrong to avenge himself. But notice, look at verse 22. And David said, what have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me? Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know that I am this day king over Israel? Notice verse 23. Therefore the king said unto Shimei, Thou shalt not die. And the king swore unto him. Here's what I want you to understand. David just let it go. David was in a position where he can just, now he can justify himself. Now he can make it right. Now he can show Shimei you're wrong. He can make an example out of it. But when Shimei came and said, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have said those things. David just says to him, you know what? You're not going to die. He said, did David forgive him? I don't know if he forgave him. But here's what I do know. David just let it go. David just said, you know what? Let's forget about it. You know what? Let's not worry about it. You know what? There's no consequences for it. And here's what I want you to understand. David had the power to avenge himself, but he chose not to. You say, Pastor, why are you preaching this? Well, I'm preaching it, number one, because this is a text. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but we're just going verse by verse through the book of 2 Samuel. But you know, this is a very important, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was thinking to myself, this, is probably, this, this sermon right here is probably one of the most important sermons that I could preach at Verity Baptist Church or at any church. Because one of the biggest problems and one of the biggest hindrances, and this is what David understood, something that would hinder his kingdom more than anything was people holding grudges, people being mad, people being upset, and people not willing to let things go. It would have ruined his kingdom, and I'll tell you right now, it will ruin any church. It will ruin Verity Baptist Church. It'll ruin. See, the Bible says that we are to be standing together in one mind and one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And there is nothing that will hinder the striving together of our church and the, and the growth of our church and the help of our church and, and doing the things that we're supposed to be doing. There's nothing that will hinder that more than people fighting, people being upset with each other, people not willing to forgive, and people not willing to let go. Here, David has the opportunity to avenge himself. He has the opportunity to make it right. No one would have faulted him. No one would even question it. They would have said, well, you, you, you chose your, your fate, Shimei. You should have chose the right side. But yet David said, you know what? I shall not die. And, and, and there's, there's a, you say, well, how, how does that happen? You say, I, I struggle with that. You know, so-and-so did me wrong, and so-and-so has slandered me, and so-and-so lied about me, and so-and-so took advantage of me when I was down. 
how can you just let it go? There is, it's, it's interesting because there, there's, there's a uh, clue, there's a key in the text that shows us David's mindset as to why he was able to let it go. Would you like to see it? Well, I'm going to give it to you either way, so let, just look at it. Look at verse 21, 2 Samuel 19, verse 21. But Abishai, the son of Zerai, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zerariah, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me? Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Here's the key. Here's the point. Here's what helped David to get to the place where he could just let it go. Notice, for do not I know that I am this day king over Israel. Did you miss it? You know what David was saying? Here's what David was saying. I'm bigger than that. David is saying, I- I'm king today. David is saying, I'm God's anointed today. David said, I'm the one that God chose. God, God chose me back, you know, all the way back in 1 Samuel. Uh, Samuel anointed me and, saw, and chose me before Saul. But you know what? There was a question about that because of my own sin, because of mistakes I made in my past. And Absalom came in, and it looked like maybe God had his hand off of me. It looked like maybe God was done with me, but God was not done. God has restored me. He says, today I am king, so I can just let it go. Here's what he was saying. I'm bigger than that. Here's what he was saying. I can be the bigger man. He's saying Shimei would take advantage of the situation when it fit him. And he said, if I took advantage of the situation because it now fits me, I would just be stating that I am the same as he is. He says, but I'm bigger than that. I'm the king and he's not. He said, I'm royalty and he's not. I'm, I'm chosen and he's not. See, to be the bigger man, you ever heard that phrase? You know, somebody ever tell you, oh, you got to be the bigger man. You just got to be the bigger person in this situation. To be the bigger man basically means to be the more mature, self-controlled person in a situation or argument. It's used when comparing one person to another or when giving advice to someone and telling them to be the bigger man. It it, it, it talks about acting with more self-control than the other person in a conflict. See, listen to me. When you are not willing to let things go, whether it's your husband or your wife, whether it's your boss or your coworker, whether it's your mom and your dad or your brother or your sister or your, your son or your daughter, whether it's a fellow church person, when you are not willing to let things go and you say, I'm just going to harm harbor down on that. I'm going to be upset about that. I don't care how many weeks go. I don't care how many months go. I don't care how many years go. I don't care what happened in between. I'm not letting this go. I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to be angry. And as soon as I get the opportunity, I'm going to avenge myself. You know, all you tell us is this. You are an immature little person. You're not the bigger man. See, David said, I have the opportunity I have the opportunity to avenge myself, and no one will question me, and no one will think anything of it. But you know what David said? He said, I'm king today. See, some of you need to learn to say, because you know the Bible says that you and I have have become kings and priests in the sight of God our Father. Do you know that you are royalty today if you are a believer? I mean, do you believe that you're a child of the king? Do you believe that God has given you a purpose and God has given you a plan and when you got saved, you became part of that elect and you are now chosen, you are now anointed and that ought to give you the ability when these conflicts come, when these problems come, when these disputes come, you ought to be able to step back and say, you know what, I'm king, I'm royalty, I'm a son, I'm a daughter of the king, I can be bigger than that. I don't have to avenge myself. 
Go to the book of Proverbs. Let me show you this in a, in a principle in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 19. I remember when I was 18 years old, my wife and I had been married for less than a year. When I was 18, I, I worked at this check cashing store. That's where I started. <laughs> I went from Subway to a check cashing store. I was doing great in life at 18. And I remember when I was, when I was 18 years old, I, I worked at this check cashing store, and we had this thing where when people would come in, go to, go to Proverbs 19. When people would come in, if they cashed a check that was above a certain amount of money, they got a free, they got a free money order, all right? They could, you know, to pay their bills or whatever. Now, if they didn't cash a check that met that, I think it was like $100 they have to cash, or if they didn't cash any checks, then the money orders were 50 cents. But if they cashed a check and it was like $100 or more, it was free, okay? We waived the 50-cent fee. I'm 18 years old. I'm working there. This middle-aged guy comes in. Bigger guy, always mean, always angry. You could tell he's just bitter guy in life. Just try not to talk to him too much. Just do his transaction or whatever. He came in. He cast a check. It was like eighty-six dollars. He asked for his for his for a money order, and you know we cast his check. We charge him. Well, as he's walking out the door, he's looking at his receipt and he turns around, and he is just you know red. I mean, just like veins popping out of his forehead and his neck. He is mad. I'm not joking. We had you know one of those like bulletproof glass things, you know, because, you know, we had a cash or whatever. And he comes charging at this thing. He's, like, punching the glass, okay? He's, like, screaming my name. He's just angry. He's, he's like, literally threatening that he's going to kill me. He's going to wait till I get off of work. And here's what he was all upset about, because we charged him 50 cents for a money order. Because he thought he was supposed to get a free money order. Right? You, you, when you cash a check, you get a free money order. But he didn't realize that his check wasn't enough, and we charged him. You know, and I, we weren't really, I mean, I, it's, we're just following the rules or whatever. And he's mad. He's angry. Well, I started kind of getting upset, too, you know, and I started mouthing off at him, telling him, what are you, loser? It's 50 cents, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then the, the, the owner, the owner is this funny guy. His name was Chris. He was this Mormon guy. And he, like, grasped me by the by the arm and takes me in the back. So here's how it worked. We had a counter with like a bulletproof glass, right? And then in the back, we had another counter with a mirror where like you could see out, but they can't see in. So he pulls me behind that mirror and he's like, you need to calm down, you know? And, and, and the guy gets mad, the guy leaves. And as the guy's walking out, you know, I'm just kind of upset and I'm really angry. And Chris says, listen, let me, let me explain something to you. And it was interesting because at the time, you know, my, my wife and I had just been married, and we, we, we drove this, this red Toyota Celica, this little red Toyota Celica. It was my wife's, not mine. She, you know, I married into, into her money. I brought the debt. She brought the nice car. But, uh, you know, I was driving this, this little red Toyota Celica, and the guy happened to park his car next to mine, and we could see right into the parking lot, you know, right down uh, over in Citrus Heights off of Greenback. And he had this, like, beat-up, ugly car. And he's getting into his car, and he's still screaming and yelling and huffing and puffing as he's going, and we're watching this whole thing. And this is what Chris says to me. Chris says, why are you so mad? I said, well, that guy, you know, he charged him 50 cents. He didn't even meet the criteria. And here's what Chris said to me. Chris said to me, you know what? He's like, this morning, you probably left your house and had your beautiful wife kiss you on the cheek and say, have a nice day. Got into your nice little red celica and drove to work and came. And Chris says to me, you know what, that guy this morning probably woke up and his wife is all angry and mad and threw him off the bed and said, why don't you go try to make some money today? You know, he goes out and works 12 hours and he makes like $63 or whatever. His life isn't going anywhere. He's driving this, 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 this car that's all messed up. And here's what Chris said to me. Chris said, 
Just be glad you're not him and let it go. You know what he was saying to me? He was saying, you're bigger than that. He said, that guy, he's not mad at you. He's mad at life. That, that, you know, Shimei wasn't mad at David. He was just mad at life. It's just things didn't go well for him. And, and David happened to be the guy that was right there that he could yell at that wasn't going to yell back. And you know what? In life, just remember, sometimes people get, sometimes people are rude. Sometimes people, I mean, sometimes people are rude to me now as a pastor. You know, I mean, you'd be shocked the things that people say to me. And sometimes I just tell myself, you know what? I'm just happy to be me and not you. <laughs> and you say, well, that sounds arrogant. I'm just saying, sometimes you just got to stand back and say, you know what? At the end of the day, I'd much rather be living my life than your life. And you're upset about something, and that's fine. But I'm just going to let it go because you know what? I'm king. And I'm not talking about, oh, you're the pastor. No, I'm just saying I'm a king. I'm a child of the king. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. You know, whatever. I, I lose 50 cents. No big deal. When I die, I'm going to heaven. And you say, how do you get to the place where you just learn to let things go? Here, here's how you get to that place. You decide you will be the bigger person. You decide that, you know what? Whatever happened, happened. However it went down, it went down. But at the end of the day, God is blessing me. God is helping me. God is on my side. Sometimes absolutes come, but God is protecting me. I'm the king today. I'll just be the bigger person. See, the way you learn to let things go is you just decide that you're the bigger person. That you're not going to be bothered. That you're not going to be the shimmy-eye when you have the opportunity to be able to kick someone when they're down. You're not going to go down to that place. And you're just going to let it go. Now, see, it's easy sometimes to let things go when you're winning. David was winning. And he chose to let it go. But let me give an example of someone who's not winning. Let's look at our other example in the same chapter. 2 Samuel 19. Look at verse 17. 2 Samuel 19 and verse 17. And there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him. And Ziba. Remember Ziba? The servant of the house of Saul. And his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him. And they went over Jordan before the king. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. When these stinking homos are, you know, threatening to kill my family and to come to my house, and do, at the end of the day, I'd, ra- I'd still rather be me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'd still rather be saved. I'd still rather be right with God. I'd still rather have a relationship with God the Father. Just decide. You know, sometimes you just have to let things go. Sometimes you just have to quit thinking and quit getting all upset and just, you know, people get so, it's interesting to me, they get so, like, wrapped up and all I can think about is this one thing. Sometimes I wonder, like, well, do you do anything else in life? Like, just let it go. Do something different. Enjoy your family. Go soul winning. Read the Bible. Let me give you the other example. 2 Samuel 19. Look at verse 17. Oh, you saw Ziba. Don't, don't look at verse 17. Go, go back to 2 Samuel 16. Remember 2 Samuel 16? He's leaving. He's leaving Jerusalem. Okay, let's look at our other character, Ziba. 2 Samuel 16. Look at verse 1. 2 Samuel 16 and verse 1. And when David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba. Remember Ziba? The servant of Mephibosheth met him. Okay, so get the picture. Ziba works for Mephibosheth. David gave Ziba, basically hired Ziba to help Mephibosheth. With a, and Mephibosheth shows up with a couple of asses, saddled upon them 200 loaves of bread and 100 bunches of raisins and 100 summer fruits and a bottle of wine. And the king said unto Ziba, What meanest thou by these? And Ziba said, The asses be for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such be faint in the wilderness may drink. And the king said, And where is thy master's son? 
He's asking about Mephibosheth. And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he abideth at Jerusalem. For he said, now look, all we're reading is what Ziba said, Mephibosheth said, okay? We don't know that Mephibosheth said this. We're just, this is what Ziba's telling David he said. For he said, today shall the house of Israel restore me the kingdom of my father. So as David is leaving town, running from Absalom, Ziba shows up and said, hey, by the way, you know what Mephibosheth said? Mephibosheth said that today, because you ran out of, because you got ran out of town, today they're going to make him king. That's why he didn't come to help you, David. Look at verse 4. Then said the king to Ziba. Now, look, David did not get both sides of the story. And he makes an emotional decision. And he makes a wrong decision. And let me explain something to you. Sometimes leaders make wrong decisions. Sometimes pastors make wrong decisions based on not having all the details. Sometimes your boss at work or your husband or your mom or your dad may make the wrong decision. Because they didn't get the details and they didn't understand everything that was supposed to happen. Notice verse 4. Then said the king to Ziba, Behold, Thine are all that pertain unto Mephibosheth. And Ziba said, I humbly beseech thee that I may find grace in thy sight, my lord, the king. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here. David gave Mephibosheth land and property and servants. Ziba was supposed to help Mephibosheth take care of the land because he was lame on his feet. When Ziba shows up and tells David, Mephibosheth's a traitor. Mephibosheth said, today, hopefully they'll make him king now that they ran you out of town. After David showed that kindness to Mephibosheth, after David showed that grace, he's upset. And so here's what he does. He tells Ziba, you know what? Everything I gave to Mephibosheth, I give it now to you. It's yours now. He took all the property, took all the servants, took everything that Mephibosheth had. And David was able to do this because he was king. Go back to 2 Samuel 19, look at verse 24. Notice what happens when David comes back. 2 Samuel 19 and verse 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and had neither dressed his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes. Some of you look like this right now, but he he was mourning, you know. Uh, From the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. So Mephibosheth decided, you know what? Till David comes back, I'm not going to, he didn't wash his clothes, he didn't trim his beard, he didn't dress his feet. I mean, he looked like a mess. He's mourning for David. Notice verse 25. And it came to pass when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, notice what David says, wherefore, he says, for what reason went is not thou with me, Mephibosheth? David expected Mephibosheth to go with him. David, I showed kindness to Mephibosheth. They were friends. And he said, why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? I'm sure he's wondering to himself, why do you look like a mess? Look at verse 26. And he answered, my lord, O king, my servant, who's the servant? Ziba. My servant deceived me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass that I may ride thereon and go to the king because thy servant is lame. And he, Ziba, hath slandered thy servant unto my lord, the king. But my lord, the king, is an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eye. So now you've got David. Having two people get him two opposite stories. One guy says, no, no, no. He said he didn't want to come out and meet you. He said he was with the other group. He said that maybe they'd make him king. Then Mephibosheth shows up and says, no, no, Ziba slandered me. He's lying. I haven't dressed. I haven't showered. I haven't bathed. I haven't changed my clothes since you left. I've been in mourning since you left. He says he slandered me to you. So what happens? Well, notice what happens. Look at verse 28. 
For if all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king, yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? And the king said unto him, Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I have said, now notice what he says, notice what he says. I have said, thou and Ziva divide the land. Do you see that? Now, Mephibosheth owned the land. And David gave all the land back to Ziba. And you would say, well, Mephibosheth did not get restitution. Mephibosheth did not, he, he should have got all the land back. But here's the problem. David just doesn't know who's lying. David just doesn't know who to believe. And to be honest with you, we'll see in, in, in the next chapter, he has another civil war that's brewing. And he's just got more important things to deal with right now. And he basically just says, listen, Mephibosheth, listen, Ziba, I'm not sure which one's lying. I'm not sure what to do. I've got more important things to deal with. Why don't you just divide the land? No restitution for Mephibosheth. There's no reconciliation. There's no justice. Nothing good happens to Mephibosheth. But I want you to notice how Mephibosheth responds. Look at verse 30. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all. For as much as my lord the king has come again in peace unto his house, unto his own house. You know what Mephibosheth was saying? Here's what he was saying. Mephibosheth decided, I'm not going to make a big deal about this. Mephibosheth decided, I'm not going to cause an issue for David about this. Here's what Mephibosheth decided. I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to let it go. Let him have all the land. It's fine. That's not, it's not about land. It's about relations. It's not about money. It's about relations. It's not about whatever it is that I might be. And here's the thing. There was no justification. There was nothing that, that Mephibosheth got as a result of this. You say, well, how did Mephibosheth do that? I mean, how was he willing? Because listen to me. Today, you, you, and I, I, I pray that God gives me the, the ability to be able to communicate this clearly. Not every conflict has to be resolved. Do you understand that? See, we grew up in this Sesame Street, you know, culture. We grew up in this full house culture. You ever watching full house as a kid? Every episode ends with the conflict being resolved and they hug and it's over. We were brainwashed by these communist socialists that, you know, write the scripts for Sesame Street and write the script for full house, you know. We're brainwashed that, no, we can't let things go. Everything has to be resolved. Listen to me, not everything needs to be resolved. There is a time when you just, like Jesus said, turn the other cheek. There is a time where you just say, you know what, David, that's fine. Let him have the whole thing. It's fine. And it's not that Mephibosheth had a bad attitude about it. It's not that Mephibosheth had an issue about it. From here on, him and Ziba just worked together. Say, well, how did he work with, with the guy that was slandering him? How did he work with a guy that was lying about him? How did he work? He just let it go. See, some of you say, I can never go soul winning with so-and-so. I can never serve with so-and-so. They better not be. They better sit over there while I sit over here. They better not look at me. They better walk up to me. I'm just going to ignore them. <laughs> You're no Mephibosheth. You're no Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth said, David, you want me to work with Ziba? Okay. Is that okay, Mephibosheth? I'm just going to let it go. But there's no risk to student. I'm just going to let it go. But you're li- you based on half of your life. It's fine. You say, how, how did Mephibosheth do that? Let me, let, there, there's a key in the text. There's a key in the text as to how David, how Mephibosheth was able to do that. Would you like to see it? Oh, it doesn't matter. I'm going to show it to you anyway. <laughs> Look at verse 28. 
No, look at verse 27, just to get, just to get the context. And he has slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. But my lord the king is an angel of God. Do therefore, the, do therefore what is good in thine eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Now notice what he says. Here's the key. Don't miss this. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. Notice what he says. What right therefore have I yet to cry anymore unto the king. You know what he was saying? Here's what he was saying. David has been so good to me. David has been so right to me. David has done so much for me that I don't have any right to complain about David. You know who David represents in the Bible? I'll give you one guess. It's Jesus. You know, sometimes when people do you wrong and there's no restitution, sometimes when you go to the pastor and the pastor says, just let it go. Sometimes when, 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 when things happen, you say, well, well I, I, got, I was slandered about, I was lied about, it, n- nothing ever came of it, there was no conclusion, there was no hug at the end, they never apologized, Zeba just got away with it. How do I let that go? Here's how you let it go. You say, you know what? Jesus has been so good to me. Jesus has forgiven me. Jesus has done so much for me. Jesus has showed so much grace. The king has showed so much grace to me. I have no right to hold a grudge, to complain, to be upset, to be bitter. Can you go to the book of Proverbs? I think I asked you to go there and I forgot to show you the verse. Let, I'm going to show you three passages and we'll be done. Proverbs chapter 19. Look at verse 11. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11. You know what will destroy Verity Baptist Church sooner than a bunch of homos protesting outside? You being bitter. You holding a grudge. And listen to me. The bigger our church gets, the more we deal with this. Every week I'm dealing with this. You say, ah, is there a problem in our church? No, we're just people. You know, the funny thing about pastors is we pray that God gives us more people, and then, but, but what happens is when you get more people, you get more problems. We pray God give us more people, but then we say, God, take away the problems, you know. And I just have to learn as a pastor, if God's going to give us more people, I'm just going to have to learn to deal with more problems. Because if God doesn't give us people, then that's another problem. <laughs> we're just people. Sometimes we don't, we butt heads. Sometimes our, our attitudes, you know, c- conflict. Sometimes things don't work out great. You say, well, well, well I got to resolve. You don't have to resolve all this. Sometimes you just have to let it go. Sometimes you just have to choose to be the bigger man. Sometimes you just have to tell yourself, I have no right. I have no right to complain. Proverbs 19, look at verse 11. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over transgression. Isn't that what David did? Well, David, are you going to avenge yourself? No, it, it, it'll be my glory to pass over transgression. David, are you going to take it out of No, I'll, I'll be the bigger man. I won't stoop down to Shimei's level. It is his glory, the Bible says, to pass over transgression. Go to Ecclesiastes. You're there in Proverbs, just one book over. Ecclesiastes chapter number... 7, Ecclesiastes chapter number 7. Ecclesiastes chapter number 7. We'll, we'll be done in 10 minutes. We'll be done in 10 minutes, all right? Ecclesiastes chapter 7, look at verse 21. Ecclesiastes 7, just one book over after Proverbs. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 21. Also take no heed unto all words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. Now, if you got a servant, you got someone you hired them, 
and you happen to walk by and you hear them cursing you, wouldn't that be something that would make you almost want to hold a grudge or be upset about? Notice what he says. Lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. You say, you, you, could, you could add in that verse, lest you hear your employee curse thee. You could add in that verse, lest you hear your spouse curse thee. You could add in that verse, lest you hear your son curse thee, or your daughter curse thee, or your co-worker curse thee, or your neighbor curse thee, or whoever it is that you're upset about. Notice what he says. Take no heed unto all the words that are spoken. Lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. Notice verse 22. For oftentimes also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise hast cursed others. See, before you get all mad, well, they should have said it. Here's what you got to remember. You've said things you shouldn't have said. Well, they cursed me, but you've cursed people also. Well, they were talking behind my back, but you've talked about people behind your back, and you have no right. You have no right to hold it against them. I mean, Fibosheth let it go. Why? Because he said, you know what? David's been good to me. If he makes this one mistake, it's fine. I can show him grace for the amount of grace that he's showed me. Go back to 2 Samuel 19. I'm going to show you something in 19, in 2 Samuel 19, then we're going to look at Leviticus, and we'll be done. 2 Samuel 19, look at verse 9. 2 Samuel 19 and verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. 2 Samuel 19, verse 9. Sometimes you need to be the one to make the first move, even when you're right, even when you did nothing wrong. Notice what David does, 2 Samuel 19. He's dealing with the civil war. He's dealing with, he's coming back to the land where the people in the land were the ones that turned against him. In in 2 Samuel 19, verse 9, the Bible says this, and all the people were at strife, they're fighting, throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, the king saved us out of the hand of our enemies. And he delivered us out of the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land for Absalom. So Israel is fighting. Some people are saying, well, wait a minute, David did this and David did that. And now he, he, he's fled out of the land for Absalom. Look at verse 10. And Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now therefore, why speak ye not the word of bringing the king back? So in Israel, they're arguing. Should we bring David back? No, we shouldn't bring him. Well, Absalom's dead anyway. Why don't we bring him back? And they decide to bring him back. The nation of Israel decides that. Judah, however, the southern part of the kingdom, did not do that. They did not have this argument about whether or not they should bring David back. So David sends them a message. Look at verse 11. And King David sent to Zadok and to Abiathar the priest, saying, Speak unto the elders of Judah, saying, Why are ye the last to bring the king back to his house? This is David speaking to Judah, saying, Why are ye the last to bring the king back to his house, seeing... The speech of all Israel has come to the king. Even to his house. He said, the, na- the ten tribes that were not related to me, they've already sent a message saying, why don't you come back? And you, Judah, you're the last ones to call me back. You say, well, why is it a big deal that Judah would be the last ones? Well, David was from Judah. That was his family. Look at verse 12. Ye are my brethren. Ye are my bones and my flesh. Wherefore then are ye the last to bring back the king? And say ye to Amasa. Now notice what he does. Notice what David does. And say ye to Amasa. Who's Amasa? He was the captain of the host for the other side. He was Absalom's general. He was the guy that led the battle against David. Notice what David does. And say ye to Amasa, Art thou not of my bone and of my flesh? God do so to me, and more also, if thou be not captain of the host before me continually in the room of Joab. Here's what David does. They're, they're fighting. Israel is fighting. Well, should we bring him back? Judah's not fighting. They said, don't bring him back. 
And David reaches out to them and says, hey, listen, aren't we, aren't we family? Why are you the last ones to call me back? And then he, and then he extends an olive branch. He says, Amasa, I'm going to make you my captain of the host. Amasa, I'm going to promote you to be my general. And, and he, he makes a move here. He takes the initial step to try to reconcile the nation. Now, David could have said, well, I didn't do anything wrong. They're the ones that followed after them. They're the ones that were led astray. They should come to me. They should apologize to me. But that's not what David did. David took the first step. He reached out to them. He said, Amasa, I'll promote you. Judah, why don't you call me back? Why don't we make this work? Well, did it work? Look at verse 14. And he, David, bowed the heart of all the men of Judah, even as the heart of one man, so that they sent this word unto the king, return thou and all thy servants. So the king returned. You say, what is David doing here? I'll tell you exactly what he's doing. He's letting it go. He just wants to rebuild the kingdom. He just wants to reconcile relationships. And he could have sat there and been bitter and mad. I'm going to kill a mason. I'm going to kill every traitor. But he said, you know what? Why don't you call me back? Why don't we work together? I'll let it go. And he came back. And it worked. I love how the Bible says there, he bowed the heart of all the men of Judah. Go to Leviticus 19. This is the last place we'll go tonight. Leviticus 19. We'll be done. Listen to me. You say, well, well I, I've got this conflict with these people, and what, how do I resolve it? Do I have to go to them and tell them you owe me an apology? Don't do that. <laughs> do I have to go to them and apologize even though I did nothing wrong? No, you don't. Do I have to go? No, you don't have to do Here's all you have to do. How you doing? Just extend friendliness. Not everything has to be resolved. Not every conflict has to be dealt with. Sometimes you can just let things go. You say, are you telling me to ignore it and act like it didn't happen? That's exactly what I'm telling you to do. Most of conflicts, most conflicts, I'm not saying all conflicts, but most conflicts can be resolved if a mature person decides, I'm just going to let it go. Your marriage, your marriage will be a sweeter marriage if one of you decides, I'm going to be the bigger person and just let that go. I don't have to fight about every little thing. I don't have to resolve every conflict. I don't have to make a big deal about every little thing. Here, they came against him to took the kingdom. And David said, I'm willing to let it go. Are you in Leviticus 19? Leviticus 19 is known as, Leviticus, the book of Leviticus is known as a very hateful book. You know, God puts a death penalty on the homos and all this. But in Leviticus 19, there's actually a very loving principle. I want you to notice it. Leviticus 19, look at verse 17. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor, nor suffer him, nor suffer sin upon him. I want you to notice the last part of verse 18. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Does that sound familiar? I am the Lord. See, when Jesus said, love thy neighbor as thyself, he wasn't coming up, coming up with that himself. He was quoting Leviticus. But I want you to notice the context of where Jesus was quoting, quoting from. Because notice what Leviticus 19, 18 says. Thou shalt not avenge. Isn't that what David did? Isn't that what David did? He chose not to avenge himself to Shimei. Nor bear any grudge. Isn't that what Mephibosheth did? Isn't that exactly what Mephibosheth chose to not do with Ziba? Against the children of thy people. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So 
what do, you, what do you want us to do? Here's what I want you to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do I do that? Don't avenge yourself. How do I do that? Don't hold a grudge. How do I do that? Just let it go. How do I do that? Just be the bigger man. How do I do that? Just realize that you've wronged others and you've done wrong to others and they've extended grace to you and you have no right to hold it against anyone. Because if I got what I deserve, I'd die and burn in hell for eternity. That's the truth. And I have no right to be angry and mad with it. I just can't let it go. Just, 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 just learn. Just learn. Let it go. Just let it go. Do we have to resolve? No. Do we have to talk about it? No. What should I do? Just smile. Just be friendly. Just shake a hand. Just learn to work alongside. Just strive together for the faith of the gospel. Let's bow our heads.